Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of NASCAR Radio. I'm your pal, Val. With me is the amazing Jason. How are you? Hey, Val. I'm doing okay tonight. How are you? I'm doing super duper, man. Uh, this is episode number 38, if you keep a track at home. And this is NASCAR Radio, where NASCAR and NASCAR trading cards meet. Uh, we got a great show today. I've been looking forward to this to the show, I guess, for, I don't know, months now. But uh, we're going to recap the winners at Atlanta and then talk about the 1988 Max set. Uh, this is the first set that kind of started the boom in NASCAR, NASCAR trading cards. So, But, you know, let's jump right into Atlanta. Uh, we had the Truck Series, Xfinity, and Cup Series running in Atlanta. In the Camping World Truck Series, this was race number four. And no surprise, Kyle Busch was racing, and Kyle Busch won. The highest finishing rookie was Carson Hopper. I think I'll get that name right, I think, eventually. Uh, he came in the 12th position. Uh, most keeping a score for Haley Deegan, she came in 21st. And, and we're going to spend just a few minutes with Kyle Busch because we've talked about his cards for quite a while with all his wins and everything else. But just to remind everybody, he's in 2004 Press Pass. And Press Pass back then had a few flavors of cards. You had your base, uh, which is card number 38, and then a few different flavors. They did eBay previews back there, and I think how that worked was that they had five cards and they would put them on eBay. Uh, I don't think they were stamped eBay or something like that, and maybe they were just number the five of all the cards, and, and that's how uh, those were sold. Uh, Platinum, there was Press Pass Optima, Stealth, Jackside, High Gear, and there's a few autos in there, so... Can't say enough about Kyle Busch. Uh, he's kind of in a slump now, so I, I guess maybe it's a good time to buy. But he's definitely destined the Hall of Fame with all those wins, all those series. He's one of those guys. He just he loves the race. So, and then with Carson Hoffer, he has no cards yet. We'll have to wait on him. And he's one of five Rookie of the Year candidates in the Truck Series with. Haley Deegan, Chris Wright, Chandler Smith, and Chase Purdy. So one of those five is going to go home at the end of the season with the Rookie of the Year. And then quickly moving on to the Xfinity Series. This was race number six in Atlanta. And Justin Allgaier, he won that race. And we've talked about Justin Allgaier uh, a few times last year. He actually won three races last year, so uh, we we talked about him quite a bit last year, but this is his first win of 2021, and his cards, uh, he's actually been racing for a few years. He started in 2009, or he has cards in 2009, press pass with the base, stealth, the main event, and then there's some signings and signatures in there, so... Like I said, he's been, I think, Jason, remember we talked about him. He was running Xfinity, and then in, like, 2014, 2015, he went up to the cup level and then came back to the Xfinity Series where he's had a lot of 
success in the Xfinity. Not a lot of success in the Cup Series, but, um, you know, he's like in the top 10 every year uh, finishing. So he's definitely found his calling. So he hasn't won a championship yet. He came in second last year, but I, I think he's overdue. He's he's pretty good, pretty good driver and been around, like I said, for for a while. So, and then the highest finishing rookie in the Xfinity Series was Ryan Vargas. He finished in the 31st spot. So it was crowded field in Xfinity with the. Rookie of the year with Ryan Vargas, Sam Marin, Josh Berry, Jordan Anderson, and Ty Gibbs. I don't think Ty was racing. And Josh Berry, who we've talked about before, finished, I think it was just a few spots behind Vargas. And then if you remember, we talked about Vargas as well. Uh, in the 2019 Dunruss, he's in that next in-line insert set. He's got some Prism driver signatures, but no Prism card. And, but he does have a victory lane pedal to the metal card and a few versions of that. So, so let me ask before we go on. Yes, sir. Real quick. The whole thing with rookie cards and, you know, just as a general thing, collectors will say, you know, it's whatever card released during the year that they made their professional debut and there's arguments to that for every sport because every sport is just a little bit different and NASCAR is no exception to that conversation but with that NASCAR also has far fewer releases than say baseball basketball football and even hockey when you have somebody like that that only has a rookie year card as an insert do racing collectors typically consider that a rookie card, or do they wait for his first traditional, like, base card release? Because, um, you know, you, NASCAR, you're looking four or five releases a year. Far fewer chances to get in a set than, say, a football uh, rookie. But when you're looking at somebody like that who only has an insert card during their rookie year, do collectors for NASCAR kind of suck it up and say, well, this is it? You know, that's a great question. Not to avoid the answer, but I think, you know, it kind of depends on the collector. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. So, you know, what's come to mind is the Haley Deegan where she's in the 2018 Dunruss Right. Uh, that next in line. But then she's in the 2018 Prism, and everybody, you know, is running, or the Prism is definitely the one everybody's chasing. I don't know if that's because it's a, well, she also has a base in Victory Lane, but everybody's going after the Prism. So I think the Prism amplifies that, but they're not going after the Victory Lane. And I think the next in line might be the second one, and then the Victory Lane is the third uh, but then it, is it because Victory Lane doesn't have Haley Deegan autos, but the Tom Russ and Prism do? So the other one that made me think of is Joey Logano, where he had some inserts the one year in autographs, and then in the next year he had base cards. So 
I don't know if I answered it or not, but for me, you know, I try to go after the first ones. As long as it's not super limited, I don't think it's an issue. The next in line aren't tough, and the victory lane pedal to the metal, that's almost like a parallel set inside that victory lane. Right. Um, anyway, then having the, the signatures, and Panini, as I've seen through 2016 and on, the, some of the drivers will have autos in only in the series and then have no base cards. You know, the 2016 just... You know, like William Byron and those drivers, they have cards, uh, signatures in the 2016 Prism, but don't have a base card until the 2016 Certified. So I think, for the most part, they're not super limited. That, that those inserts may be a little tougher, but I think, for the most part, a driver collector will collect everything of that driver. And then the folks collecting autograph or rookies to get autographed or something like where I fall in, I just try to you know get their first few cards. That yeah, there's definitely not a right answer. I mean, there's not a clear yeah. cut right answer. And I, I really, you know, we've talked about it before how this whole rookie RC designation, the way Panini's handled it, and the way Press Pass has handled it, and I know Beckett, you know, they would put, okay, maybe uh, XRC or something for the, their first card, and then they'd put a CRC for a cup rookie card. But for Justin Allgaier, who was in the lower level, went to cup, and then came back down, you go after the, the cup rookie or you go after the Xfinity rookie or Panini's been putting right. the RC logo whenever they move up a level. So, you know, Haley Deegan's got RCs for numerous years. So I, I wish there was a way to clean it up, but of course, almost all by a driver-by-driver driver situation. So, But maybe Panini can work with NASCAR and come up with some designation. And then last year, I know Panini tried like putting that little Sunoco logo because those were the drivers that were going for Sunoco Rookie of the Year. But you had Snoke a rookie of the years in Xfinity and same for a couple levels. So right. even that was kind of confusing. So but moving on to the cup in uh, race number six in Atlanta, Ryan Blaney passes Kyle Larson with only a few laps to go to pull off the win. That is his first win of twenty twenty one. We we've had a lot of first time not not first-time winners, but first-time winners in 2021, there's not, you know, repeat where you have multiples of Kevin Harvick or, or Denny Hamlin. So it's getting very interesting in the cup level. But this is his fifth win in the cup series and first of 2021. And Ryan Blaney is, you know, maybe back to what you were saying, his first cars are in 2012 press pass fanfare and that's one of those where that's the only flavor of press pass he's in and he's he's in as a young gun there's a few different uh there's a blue foil die cut of that there's a diamond and hollow die cuts he's got relics with magnificent materials gold and silver there's a sapphire edition of the base 
Silver, number 25, and the Sapphire to 20. And then this Young Guns autograph. Um, there's a blue to 10, gold to 150, red to 75, and silver to 399. And I think I've mentioned it before, but if not, I'll mention it again. If you see one of these autos, you know, take a look. He started signing his full name, but I think after he got a few cards in, he decided and probably looked at that stack of cards that it's going to take him a while. So he came up with that uh, unique signature where he does the R and then the Y in Ryan, and he brings that Y down, and it's the L in Blaney. But there are cards on those young guns where it's a full auto. So if it's interesting for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely. I've seen, I've got two of those, and I've been looking for them. You don't see them come up anymore. But I figured I'd let all the listeners know. So if you're at a at a show or you see an auto, um, I don't know if it commands any kind of price. Um, but it's it's interesting to see. There's plenty of those other ones, and he signs everything now that way. But uh, I did mention that to him at a gathering at the NASCAR Hall of Fame where when they have the drivers for the playoffs, they would have them come to the Hall of Fame. And I asked him about that, he, and he acknowledged that, yeah, he had, he had done that. So that was kind of really cool. And then our highest finishing rookie was Chase Briscoe. We, we've talked about Chase quite a bit, and Anthony Alfredo, those are the only two drivers running for rookie of the year. So Chase Briscoe finished in the 23rd spot and Anthony Alfredo in the 27th spot. So, But it was awesome for Ryan Blaney. My dad's a big Ryan Blaney fan, so he put $2 down on Ryan Blaney winning. So he got, I think it was 40 bucks. <laughs> he was pretty happy. Yeah, that's not a bad return at all. Yeah, and I didn't realize that somebody had mentioned that it was the anniversary of his dad who was leading the race in Atlanta but then had some issues. I remember watching that, and um, my father-in-law worked for the company that sponsored Dave Blaney at the time, so I was always watching to see how he did. And he was he was leading for a little bit anyway, and I think it was his pit crew. Uh, he had some issues on pit road and, and forced him down. So if I remember right, he was with Bill Davis Racing, and – Ward Burton was more of the number one driver, and then Dave was uh, the second tier kind of driver. So, but I was really super happy to see Ryan Blaney win uh, because of the awareness of Dave Blaney. Uh, I've kind of kept my eye on Ryan Blaney for since the 2012, and been picking up his stuff since then. So, yeah, quite a bit of Ryan Blaney collectibles. But back to our highest finishing rookie of the year candidate, Chase Briscoe. We've talked about him before, but like I said, uh, 2018 certified. And basically signatures and parallels in the 2018. He's also in that 2018 Prime, Jumbo, Associate Sponsors, Fire Suit, Glove, Nameplate, you name it, Shoe Brand Logo, Panini Prime, Race Use Quad, Fire Suits. They also have 2018 Panini Prisms scripted signatures. Doesn't have any Prism base cards, but he and he also has Victory Lane signatures. So really, the only base cards are going to be in the 2018 and certified. 
But that's it, wrapping up the Atlanta winners. The big weekend coming up with the race at Bristol on the dirt. That should be very interesting. Uh, looking forward to recapping that next week to see who was able to survive Bristol and bring home the checker flag on each of the divisions. So, but changing gears, I want to talk about the 1988 Max set. This set is confusing. Usually, when people hear about it, they have questions. It's probably one of the it's one of those sets that people ask me about the most. With you know, you hear it to Myrtle Beach. It's a Charlotte printing. Over the years, I've gathered some information on the 1988 Max set. And Max actually used to have a Max membership club where you were, had access to product as well as getting a newsletter. And in their newsletters over the course of the years, they reviewed and discussed the 1988 Max set. So I've actually put those out on my website. So if you want to follow up after this podcast, you know, it'll be out there. But basically, the website is racingcardinfo, all one word, .com. And if you go to latest articles, you'll see the 1988 Max story told by Max. Basically, from all their newsletters. And then I also give the, the year, the issue, the volume and the number. So, but I guess Jason, I don't. Know, I guess we should start. Maybe how, who created it? I mean, yeah, we definitely can. Um, I guess the biggest question, you know, and I'll just start out with that. For me, is I see some of the files that you sent and some of the names, and I always assumed that J.R. Max was going to be the owner's name or initials or, you know, a combination of both, and it doesn't look like that's the case. Yeah, I, that's what I thought at first as well. It's actually Jim McCullough. He, um, he was a Charlotte television station sportscaster. He thought of this idea in the early 1986. He saw, you know, baseball cards getting popular, and because he was in the Charlotte area and we have, you know, NASCAR was kind of primarily in the South End, that, and he was involved naturally with, with NASCAR if he was a sportscaster. And seeing that there weren't any producers of cards for NASCAR. And so it says, uh, after doing a little research, he discovered that most people in NASCAR were very, um, most people in NASCAR were very responsible receptive to the idea of collector cars, and shortly thereafter, McCullough decided to try and make his idea become a reality. Now, the first step in the new venture of McCullough's was signing the drivers, owners, and sponsors to contracts. They gave the job of getting photographs. They the job of getting photographs, which was done with the help of award-winning photographer Don Hunter. And then once he had all the pictures, he began to work on the designing of the cards and a task that apparently he performed by hand between his 6 and 11 o'clock, six and 11 o'clock newscast. I'm sure his, his company was happy to hear about that. And then after hundreds of tedious hours putting the 100 cards set together, McCullough 
then went to search of a printer. With the capacity to print and collate an initial print run of one million cards. Like that that number seems crazy now, um, with all the numbering that we have for everything. But from all the stories I mean, I was a kid then, so it's different, but from all the stories, that was the norm. I mean, that was probably almost limited print run, <laughs> you know, it seemed like. Yeah, they seemed one million cards, and it's a 100-card set. So I think that works out to, like, 10,000 sets. But, right. you know, there's multiple cover cards. The way the packs worked was that there was a cover card for the top and a checklist on the bottom, but all you saw was the back of the checklist that had the 1988 schedule on it. So you pretty much lost those two cards, or you at least had that header card that was card number one in the set. So it was really less than, you know, the 10,000 sets, and the factory set had a different color card than the pack. So, And I was looking on here to see where they talked about the name of it. It was somehow... He derives from the way I mean, either people talked his said his name or something with the max on the I don't understand. Right, I just but, saw it. I just saw it. So if his name if his name is Jim McCullough, his middle initial must be R for whatever. So that would be the J R. Then for McCullough, I'm assuming people called him Mac, and then the Max M A X X was like a plural of the Mac, like he owned it. So I guess I guess we weren't wrong in that it was his name, but it wasn't like his actual last name wasn't M-A-X-X. Yeah, or, or didn't come up with some kind of other, you know, racetracky name or something, you know. Right. So he found a printer, and the printer was located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. The article says that he put up his house, car, and all earthly possessions on the line to unveil his new Max race cards. So at the May 1988 NASCAR race at the Charlotte Motor Speedway, which had been the Coke 600, hoping to sell his one million first edition Myrtle Beach cards by Christmas, he sold out in just 10 days. So the Myrtle Beach kind of was the first printing, and then... The first annual printing, or first annual edition, the Charlotte printing, soon followed from there. What he originally foreseen as being just a hobby became a full-time job, and three months later, McCall left broadcasting for the card business. So I'm reading this, and I don't know if you or anybody else has ever read it the same way. It almost seems like, granted, thousands were printed up to a million cards, but it almost seems like the first edition Myrtle Beach cards were almost like a sample set, even though that was the set. It almost is like the sample, like a pilot for a TV show. Like, it exists, and sometimes it'll continue, and sometimes it won't. But this almost could have been a smaller set. It could have been, you know, a 10-card sample, you know, like 10 cards, 10 cards in a clear cello, and let's just hand them out. Instead, he went, you know, excuse the phrase, but he went balls to the wall and, you know, 
did packs boxes the whole deal it seems like and when he says like risk everything it it sounds like it's not just a figure of speech in this case yeah he, you know with that hundred card set i guess after selling out in 10 days and then realizing you know I, he, he printed he didn't print enough but then to come back and then I think it's in another document, but the second printing was basically 22 million cards. So he, that Myrtle Beach printing, and that's why a lot of folks go after those Myrtle Beach cards because they're the scarcest. And, you know, when you look back at this, it was on 10 days and this was sold out. Now, he had factory sets. So some of the timelines don't add up when you go through the all the articles, but kind of gets you to where you need to be. This part two mentions that after leaving the broadcasting for the card business, Jim McCullough's first task was to find a way to meet the growing demand for his cards that followed their introduction at the 1988 Coca-Cola 600 in Charlotte. Although printing the cards at a faster rate helped solve part of the problem, he soon found out that collating the cards, the process of putting them in complete 100-card sets, and randomly sorting 10-card wax packs wasn't going to be achieved without a certain amount of difficulty. And then this became painfully evident when Lakoa opened the very first 100-card first edition set ever assembled and found only 68 cards. From then on, he and his wife hand-counted every set, numbering in the thousands to make sure all 100 cards were present and without duplicates. In many ways, this was to give McCullough some real insight into what he was in for in the years to come because collating hundreds of cards in such a way that no cards are left out or duplicated remains the most difficult aspect of producing race cards. Doing it by hand is a slow and faster machines aren't always reliable, so there really isn't a perfect way to do it yet. And then aside from printing the coal and collation problem, McCullough's next challenge was to get some of the NASCAR drivers who weren't able to be in the first edition set due to contractual problems on, onto the cards. And I think maybe it was a rush to get these in and made that or that these guys were in the works, but he went to press anyway. So the first driver was Darrell Waltrip, and he, he agreed to be on a card after the 1st of July. So the Coke 600 is in May Memorial Day. So it's awesome that we get some of these dates here to kind of paint some of this picture. So after the 1st of July, he signs Waltrip. And to keep the set of 100 cards, the number 10 card, which was Talladega Streaks, was dropped, and Darrell Waltrip was placed in at card number 10. And at the same time, Akoa also added the name of driver Phil Parsons' wife, Marcia, onto the back of the card, and it replaced the original Parsons card. So he left out his wife's name on the back of the card. I believe on the back of the card it has family and just says children, Kelsey, Ray. So Marcia was left. So sometimes you hear with Phil Parsons without Marcia. That's how it's um, talked about. And since so they were the first cards to be replaced in the set, the original Talladega Streets and Phil Parsons are the rarest of all Max cards and therefore have become the most valuable as of this uh, article 
Um, one interesting site side bite to this is that when the new Walter cards and Parsons cards were first printed, they were printed for wax packs and did not go into complete sets until later. So he could have had a stash of first edition Myrtle Beach factory sets, but he didn't build the first annual edition, which is the second printing of Cheryl printing, since they were in wax packs. And he was looks like he was selling wax packs before and then still the older factory sets. And then shortly after the Walter card and updated Parsons cards were added, Brett Bodine and Richard Petty signed on with Max to complete all the driver editions for 1988. So to make room for the 59 card, which was the 1988 Begins, that was dropped in favor of Brett Bodine. And the 47 card, which was single file, was dropped to make room for Richard Petty. With the, with the 47 card drop, the original number 43, which was Daytona Speedway, had this number changed to 47. So there was no way there. So in the 88 Max set, it's cool. It's got actually all the tracks. And I we talked about it before. I would love for Panini to do some of these track cards and then have their social media and information stuff on the back. So if you look at the old Max cards, you'll see their phone numbers and ticket information and a uh, seating chart of the track. So yeah, I, I just think it's you know, it good to pre-advertise. And so uh, they weren't going to lose Daytona Speedway, and so they just kind of moved it over to card 47. So before you go any further, all of this is very interesting, and I think I said this to you, you know, a couple weeks ago when we talked about covering this set. This is like pro set before pro set because pro set's big thing was the living set where when things changed or people were traded or, or whatever, if you go back at like the 1990 set, there are so many variations and from personal experience, trying to find these things is completely unreasonable, but you know, that's why we do cards is because these sort of oddball things are fun to us, but seeing them change cards, change numbers, add in, but keep it at 100 cards, and then one of the things, and I don't think you've mentioned yet, is one of the drivers on the back, it was changed from engaged to married, and it's just all these little things to me are so cool that they would do these updates, and it creates that instant collectible because one card stops existing and then they print another almost duplicate but with a, an update or a change or whatever and you instantly create a shorter supply of the first run. I, it doesn't seem like it was on purpose to create a collectible. It seems like it was strictly for updating and keeping a product current. So I, I totally commend them for this and on some of the other things that we might talk about today or if we have enough time. But this company is completely transparent on a lot of things, and you know, we'll get into it later, but this this is like a living set before ProSet turned it into a, a slogan. Yeah, I was trying to think of in 88 who had variations. Was it maybe the 
Lear? Was the 88 the Keith Comstock? The Tops with the... No, the 91. Oh, yeah, there is an 88. Yeah, you're right. There's an 88 and a 91. And I think they did the Eddie Murray Brickton Breaker as well with a little box on it. So they might have seen that, you know, it might have helped sales as well. But there's a good segue, segue into that. Also changed was the number 88, and that was the Ken Bochard, which was updated to married rather than engaged. That's the card you were talking about. And then, like, the first cards that uh, uh, were changed with the addition of Walt and the new Parsons card, all of these cards were printed for wax packs before they ever appeared in the complete 88 Max set. Cards that were placed, and the one that changed, and therefore are the second rares of all Max cards, and the value is reflective accordingly. So we have... The Talladega Streaks and the Parsons Without Marcia, so those are kind of the shortest print run. And then they've modified these last cards, Richard Petty, uh, moving around the Daytona Speedway card number 47, and then some of these other ones with uh, the Ken Bouchard with, with uh, Married. And so from one of the other documents that we have, we know that the, we think the second print run was $22 million. So when you look at the Caldega Streaks and Parsons without Marcia and maybe the old Daytona Speedway at number 43, you can see how how red they are compared to the second printing, Charlotte printing counterpoint. So, But in the middle of July, after all these change or credit cards had been inserted into the set, the McCullough was ready to resume printing completed complete sets, he changed the name of the first edition to the, so he went from the first edition to the first annual edition, so collectors will be able to distinguish between the two, which I think was actually pretty cool on his part, to your point being totally transparent, if he just had kept the same name, then you didn't know, you know what you're getting, if you're getting the Myrtle Beach printing or this first edition or this second corrected one, but, you know, he changed the name on the printed factory sets, so you kind of knew what you were getting. So, and despite what many of the know-it-all racing club of the price guys who claim that to the authorities on everything Max has ever done, say that the 88 Max cars that were printed both for wax packs and complete sets were printed in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, the rumor that the first annual edition set was printed in Charlotte came about as a a result of the words printed in USA by Sheer Press Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, being removed from the checklist cards in the set when McCullough began updating them. So they were printed at the same place, but um, I know we've talked about this before. So on the back of every pack is the, the 1988 NASCAR schedule, and in the lower left corner, it says, printed in the USA by Sheer Press, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. So that's the printer. So the printer put their name on every pack that was made. And so I'm sure they were not happy about that. So uh, unless they got a discount or something, maybe when that first middle, first million were printed. But he removed that when he went back to printing. 
And so it says basically Charlotte, North Carolina printed in the USA. So that's how people thought, well, the first printing was in Myrtle Beach and the second printing was in Charlotte, North Carolina. But really the same printer printed all of that. So that is false. I'm going to part three now. So kind of recapping, so when the first Mac set, the first edition appeared in 1980, it contained 100 cards, which included one cover card and four checklist cards. And the cover card for the first edition wax packs, which contained 10 cards, was also produced, which brought the set overall total to 101 cards. So that so you have a, a cover card that has 10 on it, and then you have a cover card that has 100. And so if you bought a factory set, the yellow starburst on the front, instead of the yellow starburst on front that has a 10, uh, inside the factory set it has 100 on it. So that is kind of a variation of that number one card. And before the year was out, however, there would be 14 more cards added to the to the set, which which all the changes. So this is kind of recapping. This is the part three of the articles, and so there was a total of 115 different cards. So the set was 100 cards, and then you had 15 more variations. So so the article says, as they say, the best place to start any story, especially a comedy mystery like this one, is the beginning, which in this case means looking at the two original cover cards of the 88 Max first edition set, or as it later became known as the Myrtle Beach set. At first glance, both of these cards appear to be identical in every way, though both have the same number, number one, and the same entry blank to win a trip to the 1989 Coca-Cola 600. But it's the same ad for buying the first edition set on, the, on their backs, except for the number appearing in the yellow starburst on the fronts. So that's the 10 for the wax pack and 100 for the complete sets. They are. But later in the year, when the entire set was reprinted to meet the ever-growing demand for it, the price of the complete set of the max ad was changed from 1995 to 2145. So I guess they figured out when they were selling all these Myrtle Beach first edition sets that maybe postage wasn't covering it. So they had a chance to up the price of the sets shipped to 2145, which means the addition of two new variation cards to the collection. In other words, the total number of 1988 max cards was now at 103. So you had four number ones, two with 10 on them and two with 100 on them, and then you would have 1995 or 2145 on the back. And so the bulk that had the 1995 would be the murder bleach printing, and then bulk with the 2145 would be the shell printing. So that would be uh, a 10 in the starburst, yellow starburst on the front, or the 100 yellow starburst on the front. And then one side note is that the original 100 cover card with the 1995 on the back is from the first edition, and that is currently one of the rarest max cards in existence. So I think it's interesting that they tell you a lot of these little notes along the way. And I, I still don't think it was for advertising or pumping up their product. I think it was transparency. Um, I think the only thing they really could have done was, was said, like, this one is the rarest card because we know it had 
X number of, you know, prints or or whatever. But, I mean, besides that, I think they did a pretty good job of being up front uh, with everybody. Yeah, so this was, yeah, this was printed in July of 92. So it was definitely, you know, they weren't, weren't selling these. And, you know, they were definitely, you know, letting everybody kind of know. Again, the, we can look at the press guides for 92, but, you know, they were definitely bringing in some bucks. I, I think that car was like $200 at its peak, just the 100-count cover card. So along with the changes to the cover card, several other adjustments were made to the set for the second printing to accommodate additional new drivers. Uh, Darrell Walsh, if I'm correct, the biographical mistakes on the cards of Phil Parsons and Ken Rochard. In order to insert the Walter and still keep the set of 100 cards, they pulled the number 10 Talladega streaks or Talladega action as this name appears on the set's original number 19 checklist card, along with the new Walter card. The correcting Parsons card as well as Marcia was added to the back and the corrected Bouchard, his marital status, marital status was changed from engaged to married and they were added to the set for the second printing, bringing the total number of 1988 match cards to 106. And then so all four of the set's checklist cards, which were numbered 1936, 69, and 100, would be corrected to, and they would have the sheer press printed Myrtle Beach removed. And at the time, two other very important changes to this that took place. The first was that in order to distinguish the original first edition set from the second printing version, which had all the aforementioned additions to adjustments made to it, its name was changed to the first annual edition. And the second, the more notorious change was that on the back of the four checklist cards, in the first annual edition set, the name and the most importantly, the location, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, of the company that printed the cards were removed. So that's why I was saying and replaced with the name of the city where Mac's home office was and still is located in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, in the second and, and at the time thought to be insignificant change that re, resulted in the first edition set becoming known as the Myrtle Beach set and the first annual edition becoming known as the Charlotte set as we mentioned in the second part of the series of the mass cards, some people took it to mean that the first edition was printed in Myrtle Beach in the sec and the first annual in Charlotte. But we know that is false. So following the first annual edition, Charlotte's second printing, there were 110 cards in existence with five more to be included before the year was out. With the third printing, of the five to be added, the first two came in the form of driver cars, Rich Petty and Brett Dine, who unfortunately were not able to be originally not were not able to be in the original collection. In order to put their cards in set and keep the hundred cards, uh, they dropped the fifty nine, the eighty eight begins, and the moved the well and dropped the forty seven card, the single pile, and then put in Richard Petty as forty three and moved the number forty three Daytona to number 47, which we talked about before. The Bodine card was subsequently inserted at the aforementioned number 59 card. And finally, so all that, the checklist cards would be corrected. Two of them, 3669, were changed to add the Petty and Bodine as a new numbered Daytona card, which brought the total number to 115 cards. 
so they say there you have it. So you have the first edition set. You have the first edition wax pack cover card, which has got the 10 in the starburst. Number 10, Daryl Waltrip. Number 26, Phil Parsons with his wife added. The Ken Bouchard with being married instead of engaged. The first annual edition cover card. The first annual edition wax pack cover card. So that's got the 100 and then the other one's got the 10. And the first annual edition checklist, uh, 1936-69-100 changed not to have the sheer press. And then you have number 43, which is Rick Betty, 59, Bert Bardine, number 43, Daytona International changed to number 47, so that should be number 47. And then the first edition checklist, number 36 and 69, that actually have Richard Petty and I believe the Daytona number 47. So it's 115 cards. And so the, the first edition is known as the Myrtle Beach, and the first annual edition is known as the Charlotte Printing. So they're one and the same. So like we talked about, you know, they mentioned 1 million cards for that press run. And then uh, I don't remember where I got some of those documents if they were on eBay, but they talked about that the second printing was going to be 22 million. So Jason, I don't know if you have any questions before I go into some of those documents. So a couple questions I do have are, well, a couple things to say, I guess. I'm surprised that with them having multiple checklist cards in the set, and they also added multiple cards to the set to get you to that 115 if you get everything, that they just didn't replace the checklist card because it was something worth adding. And usually something like the checklist is probably the least thought of card. But obviously to them, it was important because they changed them to reflect you know, the changes that they were making. They updated them with the changes. So that kind of surprised me because they added three or four cards and there were four checklists. So it almost would have washed out instead of taking the actual, I mean, they're all actual cards, but cards with photos of different things, whereas the checklist is just text. So that kind of surprised me. I'll save the other thing for the end because I actually was looking up a couple boxes on eBay to see what active prices were, so we'll talk about that at the end. Gotcha. Well, just quickly, there was a letter, uh, and I'm not sure. It looks like it's it's to John. I don't know if that's John the photographer, but uh, basically, you know, they talk about the 22 million cards for the second printing, but it looks like maybe there was an issue with card number I think it was card number 54 where uh, the GM Goodwrench uh, black car might have been had copyrighted or trademarked or whatever from somebody else. And, you know, they were trying to figure out, do they pull the car out of the set or do they try to get the okay from them to go forward with it, knowing that they were going to print 22 million cards. Also, you know, some of the distribution plans, and that the sets were going to be 1995 packs for 50 cents. The sets will be sold at all the track souvenir shops and, and through the mail via advertisement at TV ads. And the packs will be sold through the NASCAR region and convenience stores. 
auto parts stores, some pass-through outlets, and major retail outlets. So major companies are currently working on promotional projects, and that might, you know, turn in that turn might into the, I guess, a McDonald's site and stuff like that. So, and then quickly, the like 100 car set was broken down. There's like 50 drivers, 13 cars, 16 tracks, 11 action shots, four specials, one rare special, four checklists, one cover card. And so the four specials have the two have one asterisk playing special cards are rookie of the year, fan favorites, etc. So rookie of the year that was Davy Allison, fan favorite I believe was uh, Bill Elliott, and then one rare is the Winston Cup champion, and so that was Dale Earnhardt. I want to say that was short printed. So when I say there was like a million cards printed, there twenty two million cards printed, it wasn't your normal sheet like maybe Tops would do. Some of the sheets had multiples of certain drivers and then, you know, limited of others. So um, I don't want you to, when I say that, I don't want you to think that, but I believe that Winston Cup champion at number 87 because there really is no Dale Earnhardt. They did not come to terms with him. So that number 99 without the gold sticker technically is a unlicensed card, but through the course of time, people have forgotten that and, after the upper deck of buying their cards or whatever it is or re-releasing those things, the waters kind of got muddied with that. But that's a story for another day. And then each pack, 10-card pack, includes five drivers, one card, one track, one action or special, one checklist, and one cover card for 10 cards. So, you know, it's pretty interesting. And it says drivers to be added soon, Daryl Waltrip and Richard Petty. Those are checked. And then Jeff Bodine and Brett Bryan are checked. And AJ Ford, Harry Gant, Ricky Rudd, and Kyle Petty are on the list but are not checked. And then there's a Dale Earnhardt. Drivers, NASCAR drivers are already under contract. And Dale Earnhardt's there, but it says a little check mark and it says now pending. So, you know, it's cold to look at that maybe, you know, Kyle Petty, Ricky Rudd, Harry Gant, and AJ Ford could have been in this set. I don't know where you would have put them. But I guess uh, Bodine and Burp Bodine and those guys maybe said yes before. So it's cool to see some of this type of information. So, but I don't want to go on too long. We can, uh, if you guys have more questions about the 88 Max set, you can always uh, tweet me at NASCAR Radio or ask some questions, and we will definitely answer them on another podcast. But. The 88 Max set, you know, is the first set to be sold, as you can see, as packs, as factory sets available at the tracks and in stores. So this basically started the NASCAR trading card boom. As you can see, he sold those sets within 10 days. He knew he had a monster. And I believe he got a five-year exclusive on producing trading cards because tracks and some of the other companies did not come in until 91. So, Jason, do you have another question? So, I, as we're talking about it and trying to give some current information, I'm looking up listings, both active and sold, for 1988 Max boxes. And it looks as if boxes are pretty hard to come by. They're not factory sealed. But also at the same time, you know, we talked about NASCAR cards not being valued the same as the other sports. 
this one definitely is. I mean, boxes go for $250 to $300. For an 88 box of anything, that's pretty good. You know, those are the years people will typically consider junk. You know, times are changing for sure with everything with the COVID, but, you know, typically those are junk, mass-produced, um, but especially for a racing product, 250 to $300 for a box, that's that's great, uh, great to see. And then even those sets, uh, their factory sets are mm, 50 to 75, 50 to 100, uh, depending on, it kind of looked like it depended on the condition of the box. Um, and currently those are probably... Wrong. Probably first edition, like a, first edition, first annual edition. Okay, so, and they also kind of look like they're white trading card boxes with a sticker wrapped around them. Is that? That is correct. Okay, I, that's what I thought it was, but I wanted to make sure. So it's not your typical factory set from Topps, Fleer, Donruss, or whatever, uh, where things are printed. Uh, this looks like a white trading card box with a sticker wrapped around it, so... Yeah, it I opens a little weird. It, yeah, it opens a little weird, but they had this sticker, and they pretty much put it over the flap that would open. Right. And then I, you hardly ever see sealed first edition. Those are the Myrtle Beach editions. Those are the only ones you're going to be able to get that 100-count cover card with the 1995 on back. Uh, I think, to my knowledge, there are no PSA pens in the 100 cover card, there's only nines. I'm very familiar with the Myrtle Beach PSA set. There's only one 10 cover card. That I take it back. There's only one 10 100 count cover card. There's only one of each. Uh, when you get to like Talladega Streets and some of the other ones there, the pop report is 18 on PSA 10 for Talladega, and nine for the Phil Parsons, and then the checklists are, you know, a little harder. Um, they're under 10. You know, the big, the big one is the 88 Max, 88 Begins, Daytona. There's 32 of those. And Daytona, or 43, is only 30 of those. But when you think about, you know, 30 is, is not a lot if it was, you know, some of the other sports. So, um, you know, during the early... 2010s or mid 2000s, there was a big push on grading for the 88 Max, and that kind of dried up some of the wax. But it seems to have come back out. But then with COVID now, you could pick up. I picked up boxes for about a hundred dollars um, for 88 Max. Not, the Myrtle Beach packs are rare. They were going for they were going, I guess, for ten to fifteen dollars a piece. But now. You know, kind of all bets are off. But one thing I wanted uh, to let folks know, and again, this is why you're listening to the show, is in the 1989, they had a combo pack where you got some 1989 Max preview cards, but also tucked in that little um, plastic case is three 1998, sorry, Three 1988 Max wax packs. So, uh, if you check on eBay and look for the 1988 1989 Max, uh, you'll find those combo packs. And like I said, there are three 
wax packs in there with those 89 Max preview cards. So, and what's really cool is on the back of that combo pack is the price guide for the 88 Max. So, you know, they were helping themselves with, you know, pricing and trying to, because it seemed like they had a lot of 88 at second printing, those 22 million. Uh, when I talked to Logan and some other folks, that stuff was everywhere. So I think that he had trouble selling that. And so this was a way to kind of, I guess, whatever maybe they had overrun or didn't do wax packs or wax box cases. That's another way to do the packs. But on the back has the price guide. And so that number 87, the, eight, the 1987 Winston Cup champion, that's the highest card in here is $4.00 at the time, and then the bill, yeah, I believe, was $3.10. So it's kind of cool to see some of that. But that's another opportunity to, you know, if you see those combo, 89 combo packs, that there are three 88 max packs on there. So and I think those 88 max factory sets are definitely getting harder and harder to find because that's the only way you're going to get those 100 cover cards. And then when I was working on working on PSA sets, that's kind of the way I was buying. So uh, wax packs aren't bad. I think maybe centering might be the only issue, and that cellophane is kind of tight on the cover cards. That's another reason why those 10 cover cards are tough to find as a you know high grade and whatever. So. Great. But I don't know if you have any more questions. I know we, we kind of went along today. No, nothing else to add. So that's the ADA Max. That's the one that started it all, and... The fever took over, and people were just going nuts for Max cards. So, you know, in the future, we'll talk about the 1989 Max. Um, one set we kind of skipped over, though it's not NASCAR, is the 1987 World of Outlaws. So, as a record, so we'll be talking about that soon. 89 Max, 89 Winter Circle. That was a, a free giveaway you signed up for. That's a very interesting set, the 1990 Max, and then with all the variations, and then the 91. So we will continue on and talk about some of these older sets. If there's a set that you want to talk about, just drop me a note on Twitter at NASCAR Radio. We'll get that in the queue for you. And we appreciate everybody listening. I hope you got a lot out of today's episode. I'm sure when folks are looking for 1988 Max information, they'll be looking and downloading this podcast. So we appreciate you listening. If you will share and like the podcast, hopefully you got something out of it. And hopefully if you will share and like it, we can share it with other folks and spread the word about NASCAR trading cards. Any last thoughts, Jason? Anything I missed? Um, no, nothing really. I mean, you pretty much covered it. The only thing I will say is we did – start a NASCAR radio Facebook page. Um, so we'll put everything up there as well and then maybe add in some some videos and some additional content um, here and there. So try to find that page. I mean, it's, it's NASCAR radio, same as everything else, and then like it and then check out everything that we throw up there. Yeah, and then if you want to see the articles, uh, we'll put them on the Facebook page, but then also on the racingcardinfo.com under latest articles. And then if you click on the image and say open a new tab, if you're on a computer, it'll blow it up and you can zoom in and read the article. 
if you guys don't buy it. So, but for me and Jason, thanks again, everybody, for listening, and we will talk to you next week.